Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Tiny House Summit. I'm your host, Ethan Waldman, and I am here with Ariel from Fineth. Ariel, along with her husband, Clay, their dogs, and some poultry live in a tiny house on wheels in the mountains of western Wyoming, and they are working on setting up their own new little farmette or homestead. Ariel has been living this lifestyle since 2014, and her wonderful partner has joined her more recently. They collect and split wood for heat, source water from a gravity feed out of a natural spring, use a composting toilet, have a small solar setup, and attempt to grow, hunt, or forage as much of their own food as possible between the weather and its wildlife, between the weather and wildlife. Uh, living a little over 6,000 feet above sea level tucked into the mountains means it's a somewhat harsh and cold climate with snow on the ground eight or more months of the year and potential frost, freezes, and even snow flurries all summer long. Ariel loves to garden, cook, can, freeze, ferment, dehydrate, food, hike and backpack in the mountains, and photograph the tame and wild animals she is surrounded by and share the skills she has learned with others. Ariel, welcome to the summit. Good to be here. It's great to have you. So you are the person I, I'm constantly pointing people to your interviews on on the Tiny House pod, <laughs> Lifestyle Podcast because it's kind of like if anybody wonders whether they can live off grid in a tiny house, I'm like, well, Ariel's probably living in a harder environment than you are, and she's doing it. So. Um, it's it's pretty awesome what you're doing and you've you've been doing it since since 2014. Yeah. And I suppose there's probably some very hot places that have different challenges than very cold places, but sure. yeah, what are we about to wrap up year 8 and head into year 9? So, it's definitely doable. I'm still here, I'm still alive. I'm I'm glad to hear that. So, I think um you know, for people watching the summit who are interested in living off grid in a tiny house, I would say probably the first thing that they start to think about, um, and this might not even be the right first thing to start thinking about, is probably solar, probably electricity. Um, so can you talk a little bit about like what your solar setup is and, and what it's able to do for you throughout the year, like what you can run on it? Yeah, so that, that probably isn't a terrible place to start, but more than like... Um, what solar panels am I going to buy or what batteries or whatever? I think the first thing to think about is how much electricity do I want to use? What all do I want to be able to power with it? Um, I have the same small solar setup here that I've had the entire time I've been living in this house. And I have been very, very comfortable with it. What it mm -hmm. powers for me is lights, um, you know, charging up a laptop or phone or camera batteries, uh, small, very efficient fridge, and that's just about it. Um, most things that take a lot of power are things that um, involve changing temperatures, heating, cooling, water heating, uh, hair dryers. All of those things are pretty energy intensive. So I chose to not do any of them with electricity so that I would not need a massive setup. Um, and that's worked out really well for me. Those kind of decisions are going to have to be with your own comfort level, uh, to some degree, your climate, mm -hmm. what you like and what you do. But I'd say the first thing you're going to need to do is figure out what all do I really want to power with electricity? I think having a little bit of electricity is like way more luxury levels in life than having none. 
the difference between having a little bit and having all you could ever want, at least for me, I don't find that to be nearly as big a difference as between none and some. <laughs> so there are just some things that are really much easier to do if you do have a little electricity available. But if you can, especially if you live in a cold climate, if you can not heat with uh, electricity, that's going to take a massive load off the amount of power you need to supply. Because, of course, winter is also combined with the least hours of uh, sunlight and often here, at least where it snows a lot, the uh, least days where the sun's even out. So having the biggest power draw when you have the least sun coming in, if you're going to use solar, is obviously not a, a great combo. Um, so what we do is, you know, we heat with wood and I've got a propane as a backup if I'm gone too long to keep the wood stove full and so on. So I think that is an excellent place to start. What all do you think you personally can't live without that has to have electricity and if it's something especially it takes a lot of electricity but you can't live without it can you do it with something else that's not electricity can you do it with a you know propane can you do it with wood is there some other way to accomplish the same thing or you can just decide that you're going to you know, it's certainly possible to install a massive solar setup and run everything you could ever dream of in a big, massive mansion, just like you run grid power. But that's probably getting into a way bigger scale and expense than anyone who's actually looking at a tiny house is interested in. But it's certainly doable. Absolutely. And that that's a really great um, way of framing it, of like coming up with what your your must-haves are figure and figuring out how much power you need for those and then going from there, maybe adding a little a little buffer in there. And I, I will say for anyone watching, um, there is a session in the summit with Joe Yoder from Tiny Solar Vermont. And we actually go through the whole process of what Ariel was just talking about, which is looking up how much energy your appliances need, plugging them into a calculator, finding out the hours of sun. So there's there's a session that really goes in depth on on doing those calculations for you. Um, that's awesome because that's I one ask, of the hard things to figure out. Yeah, yeah, it definitely is, and I, I think we have a little delay, so I'll I'll just like give a lot of space before I before I ask my next question. Um, and and you kind of already segued and made the point, which is that you know heating with electricity is is very energy intensive, um, and so if you're planning to live off grid in a cold climate, having alternate heat sources that are not electricity based is probably your only option. And, and I was curious um, if you could talk through your, your heating system. And also I, I happen to know that you added the wood stove a little bit later. So can you talk a little bit about yeah. the kind of the genesis of your heating system and, and how it's working out for you now? Yeah, so when I got this place, the heat source that it came with, because I didn't build it myself, the heat source that was built in, which I thought would work well for what I was looking to do. It's actually under the, the storage stairs here behind me. Um, mm -hmm. It's a kind of a regular RV style propane four stair um, furnace. And it worked, but the biggest issue was I had massive, massive problems with condensation. That hadn't occurred to me that it would be an issue. I live in a super dry climate. People come visit here and like their skin cracks and everything because they're just not used to how dry the air is way up yeah. here in the mountains and the, the intensity of sunshine we get at this elevation and 
all that kind of thing. So it just never crossed my mind that humidity would even possibly be an issue. But when it's 30 below Fahrenheit outside and you have a comfortable living temperature inside, and not a lot of square feet of space, just when you breathe or your dog breathes or you heat up a pot of food, or especially if you do anything like shower, but even just breathing, um, you're going to end up with a lot of condensation on windows or anywhere that's less insulated because of the massive temperature difference between the inside and outside. I, even with, I've got like triple plane, pane, well insulated windows. It was still to the point where I had water running down every window, soaking the wood frames around the window, uh, around the door, growing mold, and it was a big issue. Um, oh my. And of course, when you're the, the propane um, a forced air heater like that of any kind, whether it's run on propane or anything else, is heating the air. So if you open a window or a door for ventilation, all your heat goes out in, you know, seconds. Um so after the first winter, as you probably remember, I don't know if I can show it on the camera here, that's my little wood stove. Um, that joined me after that first winter when I had massive condensation issues. And in the years since, I've not had any. Wood is a pretty dry heat. Um, plus, even with that teeny weeny stove, it's about 12 inches square on the outside. It can take a seven and a half inch log inside this space is so small that it makes it plenty hot. So another thing that helps with the ventilation is I usually have a couple windows open a crack year round now, because even when it's 30 below, you're plenty hot with that thing running. And so that allows for excellent air circulation because this place is not built with like a heat recovery vent exchange system. Like I know some are now, mm -hmm. and especially if you're not going to heat with wood, I think having one of those built into your tiny house would be an excellent idea. Um, if you're heating with wood and you have any windows, it's pretty easy to crack a window and you've got massive um, air exchange, you know, going on then. So that has not been an issue ever since. So since then, that little wood stove has been the primary heat source here. Keeps us very, very comfortable. But of course, it's small, so you can only get so much wood in it at once. So if you do have to be gone like all day or overnight or something, it's going to burn out and the house is going to cool down. So um, then I use the propane as just a backup on those occasions, which aren't that frequent. And so the, mm -hmm. um, the condensation doesn't become an issue because it's just brief. It's not day after day after day. How much wood would you say you, you go through in a winter? Uh, usually between a cord and a quarter and a cord and a half. And if people aren't familiar with what okay. a cord is, it's a standard wood measurement. Um, it, it would be a four by four by eight stack of wood. So that's mm -hmm. about what I've used most winters. And winter here usually starts right about now. We actually have a hot day still today. We're having a very hot summer. But normally by the beginning of September, we're having at least snow flurries and often snow on the ground that's not going to leave till spring. And that continues through... April, May, or the end of June, depending on the year. And then a lot of summers, mm -hmm. we get frosts a lot of nights as well. So there'll be plenty of summer nights where I'll, you know, just throw a little wood in the stove in the evening to kind of take the chill off, but I'm not any longer running it year or, you know, round right. the clock. And, wow. uh, and that's still about the amount I go through. So it's more work to chop it up because you got to make it all these teeny tiny pieces to go in that stove, but it's less work because yep. compared to heating somebody's standard size, modern American home, uh, you don't have a whole lot of volume you're heating. And so it doesn't take that much total volume of wood. Yeah. Now adding that, that wood stove, I, I think that 
tiny houses have, you know, a limited amount of floor space and there are issues of, of clearance with that wood stove. So was, was finding the spot where you kind of put the stove difficult to like kind of figure out where in the house it would actually fit? Well, it was why I had decided not to do a wood stove initially, because initially in laying out mm -hmm. what I wanted in the house, I had thought about it. I thought, no, that's just going to take up too much space with already limited space, because you obviously can't stack mm -hmm. stuff on top of it, right up beside it and all that kind of thing. Um, but after that first winter, um, I was more than happy to make space. So there was kind of only one obvious place it could work, which is right where it was, because everywhere else would have been either in the way of where the door opened or the existing building mm -hmm. couch was, or obviously the kitchen's not wide enough to put it in there. What was in this corner that the stove now sits in is kind of a comfy reclining chair, so I don't any longer have that. But I discovered I never really used that anyway because I'm not good at like sitting up like a proper normal person in a proper chair. So I'm always either like sprawled on the couch or laying in bed working or something anyway. So I don't particularly yep. miss um, that chair. But that that chair had to go to make make space for the wood stove. Nice, nice. All right, so we've got like we've got the two. Well, no, we've got like one human need for survival covered here, which is warmth. Um, I would say that the other big one is water and um, water is a challenge in tiny houses with, you know, if you're trying to be hooked up to water, you have the issues of, of that hose or those pipes freezing. Um, mm -hmm. But you are completely, you're completely off grid. So you're not hooked up to any kind of water utility, correct? Correct. Um, so how does your water work? And maybe if it's different in the summer than it is in the winter, tell, tell me about that too. It's pretty much the same year round. And the reason that I don't have any issues is because everything in my water system is self-contained and um, internal to the house. So I do not have any incoming lines. I don't even really have any outgoing lines. But how it works is in the back corner of the counter where there's kind of would be a dead space mm -hmm. is the water tank and the water heater. It's all kind of built into that corner. I fill it yep. manually with, um, well, for many years, what I did was manually fill it with water jugs. I'd drive over to the neighbor's well that had great water, fill up a bunch of those five and seven gallon jugs and just pour them in the tank. The tank holds, I think, 35 gallons, and then I have a 10-gallon tanked propane water heater. So that, I guess, mm -hmm. is like 45 gallons total that are stored in there. And then when I wash my hands or do dishes or whatever, or shower, it goes down a drain, which comes out right under the house. It's just a little length of pipe, and it actually drains mm -hmm. directly onto the ground. Um, there's various ways to do gray water setups and... Um, drain fields and filter beds. Um, I've lived in this house in two locations now. The last one in the clearing in the woods was on top of a rock pile that went down like 30 feet. So um, the water just drained in through those rocks, drained away, never puddled on the surface and watered the berry bushes and pine trees down the hill from me just a mm -hmm. little bit, not much water. And here we live on top of just a little bit of topsoil with a massive gravel bed that goes down hundreds of feet. So once again, water just vanishes when it goes on the surface. And here it's been vanishing yep. so quick, I can't even tell that like the grass is greener where it uh, has been draining. So I've yeah. never built a uh, a proper drain field, but that's because of the 
the soil types I've been living on. If you live somewhere wetter yeah. and soggier, you would probably need to do that. But otherwise, you could do the same kind of system. But so when it, it comes out of the house, it just falls directly out that little pipe and onto the ground and goes away. So there's nothing to freeze there. And because I'm manually pouring water in, and now I have a setup where I can use a hose to do it, so don't have to lift the the jugs. Um, at least yep. in the summer. And so it's a little handier, but it's still, I'm filling it and then nothing else is, is connected to it. So unless the whole house freezes inside, there is no, um, no issue with anything freezing up and you can run things to it that won't freeze by either burying them very deep, which is potentially an issue. Mm -hmm. If you're in a tiny house on wheels and want to move it, you're not going to be doing a lot of trenching lines to something if you're going to move it frequently, or mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. you can wrap that in heat tape, which is powered by electricity back to the changing temperatures with electricity is very intensive. You're going to need a much yeah. bigger power system. If you're going to keep some length of hose defrosted with electrical heat tape in the winter. So once again, that's something you can do, but that's something to consider with your electrical needs. Got it. Got it. So even water kind of ties back into electricity in ways that you might not think about. And, and you also mentioned your hot water is, is heated by propane rather than electricity. It is, but it's one of those propane heaters that doesn't ignite without electricity to it. So even though it's a minimal, okay. minimal amount, if I had no power at all here, I think you may be able to get a water heater that you manually light a pilot on. I'm not sure. I haven't looked into that because this has been working. It doesn't use much, but if mm -hmm. I had no power at all, that water heater wouldn't turn on, which is one of the things I learned about propane appliances that I didn't know before I moved in here. I thought if it was a propane appliance, you didn't need power at all. But with Almost none of them, actually, unless you really seek out a specialized product for off-grid living, whether it's a stove or an oven or a propane furnace yep. or any of those things, almost all of them have some kind of electrical control. So if you have no power, they're not going to work at all, no matter how much propane you have around. Yep. Yeah, and actually, I'll share because, you know, I, I built my house kind of with the intention of, of being off-grid at some point. Um, uh -huh. And so... I have a propane furnace, a heater that um, actually requires zero electricity, but because of that, it's kind of, it's actually old technology. It's not new technology. It's got a standard right. pilot light that I have to light and it actually, it's called millivolt. So essentially the pilot light helps to complete a circuit and, you know, the, the thermostat is just part of that circuit and it's, it's pretty cool. Like I can have my propane heater going with no electricity um but you i do give up some some efficiency you know it's i think it's like 70 percent efficient whereas a modern you know higher end propane heater can be in the 90 percent efficient meaning you're just getting more heat out of every gallon of propane or, or whatever right um so you know just to just to trade out there but once again, I, I'm suspecting you probably had to kind of seek out specifically a heater that did that, because if you just look up a propane heater, or propane water heater or whatever, the standard things for sale that, like you said, are more modern, almost 100% totally. of them require electricity if you don't seek out something that doesn't. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and I don't. I don't know of a of a water heater that that can go without electricity. I, they might exist, but I I don't. I don't yeah, know I've never one. looked. Yeah. Um, so 
we've kind of gone through the like big systems. We've got heating, water, and electrical. Um, I want to just talk about um, the way that you kind of insulate your house in the winter. You you skirt your house, but do you just do snow or do you have something else under there too? So one quick note before I forget back on the water topic, if somebody's yeah, yeah. asked, once the water sure. is in that internal tank, the way it comes yeah. out with some pressure out of either the shower or the sink is one of those little 12 volt RV pumps. They work great. Okay. They're a little bit noisy and they wear out. Um, they're designed for RVs where someone's going to be like, using them a couple weekends a year. So if you're going to use yep. them in your house day after day, just plan on. And as far as I know, from everything I've researched and talked to other people about, nobody makes a pump in that size. that's actually designed for full-time use. So you just plan on every yep. couple of years, you're going to buy a new water pump. Um, if you're going to pump water that way, your other option, of course, would be to put yep. your water tank somewhere up in a loft or something. So you've got gravity pressure, but that has mm -hmm. its own potential issues with leaking. So that's on the water topic. Um, Insulation. This house is, the structure itself is very well insulated. It's a stick built two by four, you know, walls with uh, polyurethane spray foam. So the walls are R21. I believe the ceiling is R26 and the floor is R30. Um, believe mm -hmm. something like that. So that's pretty well insulated box to start with. And then, yes, I've never done like normal skirting, what I had for many years, well, I still have, but they're different now, is planters mm -hmm. um, for flowers and herbs all around the house. Originally, what they were made out of was a bunch of discarded lockers from a local gym. They were going in a landfill. They were made out of particle cool. board, never designed to be outside or full of wet dirt or anything like that. But I laid them on their backs, pulled the lids off, filled them with dirt, planted planter, planted flowers in them, and they basically created a skirting the entire way around the house. Then, um, but it, it wasn't, you know, like sealed up, uh, snug. There was gaps the way they sat around the house and so on. Once it would start snowing, this, of course, only works if you have a cold climate where the snow is going to stay consistently for months on end. But I would just shovel snow up against it so it would seal snow actually almost up to level with my windowsills. That's where I'd start shoveling it down. Um so uh -huh. I can still see out the windows, but seal it with just a, a giant mass of snow over those planters and down to even wider. So I think the one year when I measured how thick it was, it was probably adding like another R30 or something. You get more insulation value out of drier snow compared to wetter snow, and we usually have dry snow. Um, so that added a, a massive amount of insulation around the whole base of the house all winter. Um, obviously it doesn't work if you live somewhere hotter, but you're probably less right. worried about insulating out of, you know, for cold reasons, though you may be wanting to for keeping heat out reasons. Right. Right. Yeah. And I think a lot of, minus the skirting maybe, but a lot of what you're talking about with, with having good insulation will apply to your house, whether you're in a hot climate or a cold climate, like you need good insulation for sure. both for heat and for cold. Yes. Yeah. And if somebody's curious what I do for like air, air conditioning here, um, uh -huh. my solution is not going to work for most people uh, because AC is another thing that is extremely power intensive. If you're going to do that with like electricity produced with a small solar system, I just live in a place where it's hardly ever hot. Now this summer has been an exception. It's been really, really hot, but most of the time we get 
at yeah. or just above or close to freezing here overnight. So the way I air condition is to open the windows at night, go to sleep, wake up, the house will be like 45 degrees inside or something, which feels awesome. Close all the windows and it will, it is well insulated enough. It will hold that cool air until pretty much toward late evening. It's starting to get hot inside, but by that time it's cooling off outside and you just open the windows again and repeat. But if you live in one of those places where it stays 90 degrees all night long, you're going to need to figure out probably either your heat tolerance has to be a lot higher than mine, or you're going to have to figure out yeah. some different way to do that. Definitely. Definitely. And, and luckily, well, maybe I don't, I don't know this for sure, but I would, I would guess that climates that are extremely hot are also extremely sunny. And so it, it will be more possible Often, yeah. to, to run an AC off of solar. Like you'll still need a much bigger system, but it, it's because of how many hours of sun you're potentially getting, um, you you might have an easier time doing it. And that's the advantage over trying to make air hot with electricity. Mm -hmm. Usually when you need the most cooling is when you have the most sun. So that can definitely be yeah. helpful with that. Yeah. Um, so one thing that... that is the other side of the coin to living off grid and, and shifting your um, reliance away from electricity and usually onto propane is that actually getting the propane, getting the tanks. Um, so I'm curious, how do you, do you have propane delivered? Do you fill the tanks yourself? Can you talk about, about how you get your propane? So what I've done for the majority of years I've lived here, um, the reason I'm talking about two setups here is because for like seven years, I lived in this house in a single spot on somebody else's ranch tucked in a clearing. Then I got married and my husband, and I bought a little property also tucked into the Wyoming mountains, but we moved the house onto our property. So now it's sitting in a different mm -hmm. spot. So there are some differences between the two. The whole time I lived there, I was up a little narrow access road. Getting propane delivered was not really an option. So I had several 40 pound tanks and several hundred pound tanks. If you live somewhere very cold, um, the small tanks will, when it's too cold, they will not be able to vaporize. So even when you're not out of propane, uh, you can have things not work because they can't get the, the mm -hmm. propane vapor, which is actually what they run on. So having a bigger tank is helpful for that. Um, and I just load them up in the back of my van and drive into the closest town where they filled propane bottles and get them filled and bring them back. Um, now here, I because it's our place and we can set up things a little more efficiently, I did buy a little 500-gallon propane tank, which based nice. on my propane usage over the last bunch of years should mean that I mean, I'm going to fill it before then, presuming I can, but uh, that will probably last me a decade here in the house. <laughs> so now oh I don't have to any longer haul uh, propane bottles around because those 100 pound propane bottles are a pain to haul around by hand. Well, there are 100 pounds of propane and then the tank itself weighs yeah, a good and then all the 50 metal. or 60 pounds. So, <laughs> yeah. so it's like picking up an adult human who is completely still and not helping you at all. <laughs> yeah, I can drag them around when they're full. I can't really yeah. lift them. Yeah. And um at the risk of getting too in the weeds here, but I think that this is this is pretty important information for someone considering off-grid. Um have you had any issues with your regulator in cold climates and do you have do you use one of those changeover regulators that will switch to a new tank when one goes empty? 
No, mine is manual. Um, I do okay. have, it has two lines going off it so I can connect two mm -hmm. tanks at once and I can manually set it to pull off of both or just one or just the other. Yep. yep. Um, if I want to, but, uh, I, the only issue you could have with them, I know I haven't had this, but if you don't keep it covered with something, uh, you know, a bag, a little board, if you mm -hmm. get a lot of snow that like piles up on it and then melts around it and encases it in ice, you can, I think something in there has to breathe in the regulator. So it could have an issue. I always kept a little cover, yep. just like a little scrap of board over mine. So melting snow couldn't yep. ice it up. And so I never had an issue with that, but that can be an issue. But yeah, mine's just manual. I usually would leave it set on the, where it was pulling from both tanks um, mm -hmm. at once. And with hundred pound propane tanks, if I had it on, you know, two of those, I could generally, as long as I made sure they were full in the fall, not even think yeah. about it again until spring, because even with running propane, it's backup heat, propane for the the stove and oven and the water heater. Um, it just doesn't use that much total propane. Yeah, the heat, I would imagine that like not using propane as your primary heat source is, is saving you a ton of propane. Because just in my tiny um with propane being the only heat source um i that's gonna take a lot more la yeah last winter i think i i burned maybe 30 gallons a month for for the cold months you know like a, a hundred pound tank a month okay um, well that's a good comparison for someone to have because i've yeah. After that first year, and I don't remember what my propane measurements were then, because I'm still getting my act together. Um, <laughs> that, that's a good comparison. You're going to need about a cord and a half of wood, or Ethan's propane usage per month gives yeah. you at least a baseline yeah. to to figure out what you might require. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Ariel from Finit, there'll be there'll be links to all of your your YouTube channel and your website. Your you're such an amazing resource and, and thank you for, for being willing to share so much of your life because I've learned a lot and, and I always enjoy speaking with you. Awesome. Thanks for having me. It's good to chat again.